0: Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. I'm Christopher Lawley, Planet Dharma team member and producer of the podcast. In today's talk, Catherine Poissorat-sensei and Doug Capel Duncan explore the topic of Buddha nature. They look at the various terms that are used to describe it and highlight the challenge of talking about Buddha nature in a way that doesn't fall into a conceptual trap which actually separates us from it. Capel and Sensei also discuss switched-off and switched-on potential, how Buddha-nature gets obscured, and how an effective spiritual practice helps remove these obscurations. Helping people experience spiritual awakening is the reason Planet Dharma exists. If you are also passionate about unfolding and awakening deeper and more quickly, we encourage you to enroll in one of our online courses. Each year, Kapel and Sensei host multiple online courses live on various topics with the goal of empowering participants to dive deep into their awakening spiritual practice. Learn more about upcoming opportunities to join these online offerings at planetdharma.com online. And now here's today's recording.
1: Today we'd like to speak to you about Buddha nature and what is Buddha nature, and what kind of difference does it make in our daily lives and our spiritual practice. When we talk about the Buddha, the Buddha was a historical person, Siddhartha Gautama of the Sakya clan. Shakyamuni means sage of the Sakya clan. However, often when we talk about a Buddha, we're not talking about a person, we're talking about a realization, a state of realization. And when we talk about realization, That means someone who understands the true nature of reality. So it's a kind of understanding. And when we talk about nature, it's not an object or a thing. It's more an awareness or a way of being. I was thinking we have these beautiful picture windows here. That's more than a picture window. This is like a drive-in window. We have these big windows out onto nature. This beautiful nature outside here in front of us. And I was going to say that's not the kind of nature meant here, but, but it kind of is, right? Because consciousness is present in everything, including in nature. It's the natural way of being, the natural way of things. And consciousness is everywhere, including in nature, especially in nature, which is why we love to go there. So when we're in alignment with nature, the natural way of things, then we're in touch with this consciousness with this reality, this at one this feeling of unity.
2: So that, that's why they say the Buddha or the Christ. They're not referring to a person. They're referring to an understanding or a realization. So when we talk about Buddha nature, we're talking about pure perception. We're talking about consciousness without an object or not necessarily without an object per se, but not seeing any inherent reality in that object. So that means that just this moment, the way it is just now, without any comments, observations, thinking, or other kind of marks of it is Buddha nature. And then when we talk about the consciousness as a form of awareness, It has certain qualities that we assign names to, but in a sense, if it's Buddha nature, it can't really be named. You can't put a name on it, because as soon as you do that, you've turned it into a concept, you've turned it into an idea, and now you're caught. You're kind of trapped in the conceptual mind or the thinking mind. So in that sense, Buddha nature is awareness or pure perception, and, and those qualities, we assign it like totality. It's kind of the, it's the entire field of consciousness not being delineated by discriminations or divisions. It also has a quality of what we call insubstantiality. There's no object to be found anywhere in the universe, really, because as you look deeper and deeper into the atom, it gets less and less substantial. So for that reason, this kind of combination of totality and insubstantiality, it's its sometimes called the tatataka garba, which means basically suchness or Garba means womb and tatata means basically that, just that. So it's kind of the womb of form or the womb of manifestation.
1: Tatagata garba is Sanskrit and Sanskrit, as we've said many times, is a language that was created to describe consciousness. So it's a fascinating language and helpful to have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's necessary to study it, but it, but it is helpful. And as we've described many times, if you look in the Sanskrit dictionary for words such as tathagata, there'll be many, many, many different definitions of it. So it's kind of a philosophical language where it's very difficult to translate with one word. So as Doug Sensei said, garba means womb. One translation is womb of suchness. Tathagata means a kind of suchness, a way of being. Tathagata garba can also be translated as the embryo of one who has gone beyond. So an awakened being is sometimes referred to as one who has gone beyond into this understanding of totality. And this lifetime is kind of a womb for that. We all have Buddha nature. We all have this potential to have this understanding. So I like to think of us as as being in that womb in the process of gestating, being born and growing up
2: So in spite of all the teachings to the contrary, realizing your Buddha nature or realizing the innate quality of the universe as being inherently spacious, blissful and empty is not difficult. It's really quite simple. In fact, it's so It's so simple that it's really hard because as you, you, if you watch a ballerina or a, a professional athlete do their thing, they make it look so easy. But that ease comes with a great practice. So the practice that you're involved in is to understand, first of all, that Buddhism is not a religion. It's a methodology. It's a map. You might call it a map to the real. And as you know, a map is not real. A map is a concept. It's a construction. And like a recipe, it's not a cake. So Buddha Dharma, Buddha realization, isn't the recipe, it isn't the formula, it's the cake itself. And to take it even just a little bit further, it's not just the cake, it's the taste. There's no sense having a cake if you don't eat it. So they sometimes talk about the one taste and circling back on itself, the one taste is that experience of this exact particular moment in your mind that just is by itself without concept, without thinking, without feeling, without even necessarily sensation, just the field of the mind itself. And so in a sense, Buddha Dharma isn't all about the teachings and all about the methods and all about the concepts. It's about that one taste of resting peacefully in this moment without worrying about you. And the easiest way to do that is to drop dead. In other words, drop dead to yourself. Let yourself be dead now and appreciate the next moment that arises. Because with the death of you, will go all those things get you into trouble.
1: I'd like to emphasize what Doug Sensei was saying before, that this is actually very easy. And to prove it, I'd like to point out that we have all had this experience of just being in the moment, of the sense of me passing away, and of that being very blissful.
2: Well, in fact, that's the only thing you ever have. I mean, Mm -hmm. in in truth, the only thing you ever have is this moment. And all your thinking and feeling and sensations and so on about it are constructs. They're built around ideas, thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, etc., etc. So in a way, if your ego is is butter, Buddha nature is milk. Butter is just a form of, of, of milk in a way. Or you could say the the same way that a seed is permeated with oil. When you have a seed, you think, oh, I'm gonna use this seed for this, that, or the other, but the essence of the seed is oil. So these are kind of metaphors.
1: These are metaphors for Buddha nature. So we all have this access to Buddha nature just because everything is permeated with Buddha nature. The same way that, as Doug Sensei's saying, milk is permeated with butter or seeds are permeated with oil. It's there all the time in its potential and just could use a little help to emerge.
2: <laughs> so and it, that's
1: what the methodologies yeah. are for, the methodologies of, of Buddhism, is these are the methodologies to allow the oil to emerge from the seed or to allow our Buddha nature to basically take up more and more of our awareness or our day.
2: It's an allowance, it's a permission, Mm -hmm. it's a surrender, it's an opening. And that's why we talk about it metaphorically as like dropping dead. Because if you're just quiet, if you can just find that quiet space where nothing has to happen particularly, then that's Buddha nature. Now, the, the difficulty is that we live in our body and we have lives and jobs and careers and so on. And egos. And egos. So the the difficulty is really taking that realization, which is really very simple. And remembering to apply it in our day-to-day lives and our interactions and what we do. And that's where we tend to lose it again. Because as soon as we get back out into the so-called real world of the material, we get caught up in agendas and desires and likes and dislikes. And then we forget this Buddha nature and that's where our suffering tends to kick in because fundamentally whatever we're trying to create or manifest or hold or hang on to or have in our relative worlds is obscuring the buddha nature and in the process of obscuring it our struggles start because we've mistaken the appearance for the reality
1: and to be fair part of the challenge of a spiritual being today is navigating this spending time in buddha nature together simultaneously with living in the contemporary world, which we all do. So if someone says, Greg, what is your opinion? It's probably not very skillful to say, I don't have an opinion because I am dwelling in suchness. I'm at one with the universe. That is probably not going to help the way that we're trying to skillfully navigate contemporary society. Right, Your employer or your colleagues might not find that interesting or amusing or um, profound. And yet, we want to keep one foot in that space at all times, because that's where our natural vitality comes from. That's where our insights come from. That's where our wisdom comes from. That's where our compassion comes from. And we need to walk that balance, live that balance.
2: So the other aspect of this is non-obstruction. The two worlds aren't in conflict. You don't have a problem being in Buddha nature insofar as you can do that. And also go about your day-to-day life and your job. You just have to recognize that your day-to-day life and your job is theater. It's a production, it's a movie, it's, it's a kind of dance that you're doing. And where we get stuck isn't in the production of the movie or the dance or whatever it is we're doing. Where we get stuck in is when we measure or start to evaluate how we're doing, good, bad, better, worse, Winning, losing, ahead, behind, love, non-love, working, you know, all those things are just constructs of the mind. They're theater. And if you're dwelling in Buddha nature, then you start to see life, your life in particular, but everybody's life as theater. It's a, it's a dance. When we get into trouble with people, it's because they're refusing to play their role (laughs) (laughs) in our dance. (laughs) The role we'd like them to play. Or we're not playing the role they want us to play in their dance. And again, this is where the obscuration to Buddha nature arises. The entire path of the teaching, all the practices, everything you do for the practices and the teaching is simply to help you see through the theater of your own life and see the Buddha nature within.
1: And that's theater is a great analogy because a truly great actress or actor can play any kind of role. And if you're really good, you can improvise any kind of role depending on the other players on the stage. And that's what can be challenging for us is our our ego gives shape to preferences and then we don't really wanna play that role. And we definitely don't want you to play this other role. And that's where our suffering comes from.
2: Yeah. So of course it's always a great challenge as a teacher to remember that you're playing a role of a teacher. Inherently, You don't need a teacher, no teacher is necessary. Life is the teacher and and in fact there's no teacher anyway because teacher is a concept. And teacher means something's been taught and nothing has to be taught because you already know this.
1: This is Buddha nature. Buddha
2: nature is what you already are. It's already the core of what you move from. So where we get caught and our greatest, perhaps our greatest obscuration in this process is kind of a belief in substantiality, that there's actually a thing in front of you. There's actually a thing called an idea, there's actually a thing called an object, and so on. And science is founded on substantiality. And they say, well, consciousness is a result of mind and matter. But the truth is actually the reverse. Consciousness, mind, is the constructor of materiality, substantiality, and it does that through karmic tendencies.
1: So let's take a look at this again, in Buddhism in particular we hear a lot about obscurations, so what that's referring to basically is anything that is obscuring our true Buddha nature, which is there all of the time, and then obscurations cover that up get in the way of that and so the spiritual path is really about either removing these obscurations or allowing the obscurations to fall away because it actually doesn't need to be done you know when I say removing the obscurations we just need to allow it to happen and that's what every spiritual practice is designed to set up those supporting conditions so when we talk about the spiritual path, we talk about it sometimes in, in three phases. The first is purification. So that allows a lot of impurities we could say or obscurations or sometimes called defilements to fall away. And um, realization, we realize Buddha nature. Oh, this has been there all the time. And beatification, then we get shiny. That's, that's where the, the halos come from, right? The, darkness is, is, falls away and our true nature is we are beings of light and that's why in paintings and so on holy beings beings who are whole who have been reintegrated with their buddha nature have halos or auras
2: buddha nature again enlightenment liberation is understanding and substantiality 90 of mass is from virtual particles we emerge from nothingness
1: how, how do you mean virtual particles
2: well virtual particles aren't really real in in quantum physics there's no such thing as a particle for instance in a vacuum in empty space a geiger counter will still tick
1: what what does that mean if a geiger it counter It means ticks?
2: that it's measuring something
1: even though there's even quote though unquote there's nothing, nothing there. there
2: to measure what we're saying really is that even in a vacuum there's consciousness there's a consciousness that is ticking And this ticking, when gathering enough momentum of consciousness itself, starts to produce form. And from there it starts to create virtual particles, virtual atoms. In other words, it's just another way of saying insubstantiality. Nowhere in the universe are you going to find a thing. So when Catherine and I do this, it seems like a thing. But what you're really getting is you're getting a law of relative densities. The density of the vibrational energies of the Catherine Sensei meet the vibrational energies of the Doug Sensei, and those gravitational energetic forms bounce against each other, and that creates matter. And from matter comes everything that we hang on to and care about. Energy.
1: Energy Energy. vibrating.
2: Vibrating. And so while you're out in your life, living your life, going about your job, etc., etc., it's really important for you to remember in terms of Buddha nature, that you're actually not there. There is actually no maya to be found. There's vibrational energies held together by thought patterns, emotional patterns, karma, nutriment, form, and then it's the attachment or clinging that Maya, for, for example, has to this that creates her whole entire life, and therefore her suffering, and her joys and happinesses. Because in Buddha nature, there is neither joy nor happiness. There just is lessness, the Garba, Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it.
1: Which is inherently blissful. So just a contemporary note about remembering that we're not actually there, that we're insubstantial, the spiritual realization is embodied in this lifetime, right? And it's very important that we also be embodied. And so good physical health and being grounded is very, very important for contemporary spiritual awakening. I think North Americans in particular, we can be very, well, Western culture in general, can be very up here energetically. And we can be very intellectual. And a lot of spiritual seekers also explore with drugs and other substances. And it's important that we stay grounded on the earth and experience the spiritualization through the vehicle of this body. So, so we don't oh. fly off into...
0: Never-never um, never land.
1: Yeah, into never-never land. And, and this is uh, why some spiritual crises can happen that way. If we're not embodied, if we're not grounded, that can lead to a spiritual crisis, which we do not wish for you. So grounded in the body, please.
2: So one way to demonstrate this is a pile of beans. So you got a pile of beans. Now, imagine a pile of beans in front of you. And I think you'll all say... There's a pile of beans. So the pile seems very real. Nobody's gonna argue, I suppose, I hope, that there's a pile of beans there. So let's take away one bean. Let's take away another bean. and We take another bean away. Until we've taken all the beans away, what happened to the pile? We thought the pile was a real substantial thing, but the pile is a concept. There actually is no thing called a pile except a concept used to describe reality. You take the beans away, the the beans are still there, but where, where did the pile go? So when we talk about our suffering and our struggles in our life and our ungroundedness, it's because we don't recognize the relationship between beans, in this case, Buddha nature, and the pile, which is a concept. And when you apply that to your personal life, you understand your job, your career, etc., etc., are piles, they're piles of things made up of these insubstantial moments called Buddha nature. So the ego is a construct, and that's what they call the grand delusion. Or the grand delusion is that the ego is a thing, but it's a pile of beans.
1: So we all have this Buddha nature and we all have the potential for enlightenment. So according to the classical texts, our potential may be switched off. However, through the spiritual practices, through the meditative methodologies offered by Buddhism and other wisdom traditions, it is completely within our power to switch on this potential, and we do this through the cultivation of virtue, and that includes things like the Eightfold Ennobling Path and the Paramis. That's why we practice those things. We are practicing basically wholesome habits that will lead us to a clearer space where we can have where we can connect with Buddha realization, this understanding of totality or the nature of reality, the true nature of reality.
2: So imagine a mirror and your mind is a mirror. The mirror by itself is empty of an image until you put something in front of it. Now, of course, you know if a mirror is facing the wall, you're gonna see the wall. But for a minute, just imagine a mirror with nothing in front of it. And then you go stand in front of it. So the mirror generates that image you see yourself in the mirror and then you walk away and now there's nothing in the mirror anymore. So your Buddha nature is like a mirror. It reflects or demonstrates whatever's put in front of it. So if you put soccer in front of the mirror, reality will be the soccer game. And if you remove the soccer and you put in ballet, then ballet will be in front of this mirror. So the nature of Buddha nature is like a mirror. It reflects whatever is put in front of it and what gets put in front of it is based on karma. It's based on habitual patterns and habitual tendencies of you or me or Catherine or anyone to put something in front of that mirror and then get attached and cling to that image in front of the mirror when it's still, the mirror itself still remains clear. So life, your ego, your being, is like designs drawn on water. And as long as you keep drawing your designs on the water, you have you and if you rest just in the water, you have the spaciousness. Now, from that point of view, go draw whatever design you want.
1: And this is why we cultivate virtue. We develop these habits <clears throat> of, of, say, mindfulness. We did, because it feels better to be in the present moment. So we have all different kinds of methodologies to cultivate that habit of being mindful, of being aware. Feels better, allows us to have better contact with our true Buddha nature.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on your favorite podcast app to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. If you are looking to incorporate more activities into your life to support contemplation and introspection, I recommend our weekly reflection series called 52 Reflections. Sign up for free, and once a week you'll receive a short passage and follow-up prompt that you can use to frame your day, your week, or a meditation session. You can learn more, and sign up for free by visiting planetdharma.com 52 reflections. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.